Let's Talk Books. I'm Robin Van Auken, a writer and a teacher. My guest and I want to help you write your own book. We're sharing ideas about inspiration, book publication, and promotion. You can find the episode show notes, a free novel, guides, and tutorials at robinvanauken.com. Enjoy the show. It's episode number 11, and my guest is Melody Johnson, who writes paranormal romance. She's the author of gritty urban fantasy stories about vampires and other unnatural creatures. Her latest book, and the final in the Nightblood series, will be released soon. Look for Day Reaper this spring. Melody graduated magna cum laude from Lycoming College with her B.A. in creative writing and psychology. She credits her time at Lyco and her writing classes for much of her success. Sage advice from her college mentor encouraged her to look at writing as a long-distance marathon, not a sprint. By writing one page each day, at the end of the year, she has an entire manuscript. With that mentality, she's written nearly half a dozen novels, and she's got more on the horizon. Melody is only 29. She's a great example of how anyone, regardless of their age, can develop the traits of dedication and persistence. Learn more about Melody and her books in the show notes at robinvanauken.com. Let's get started. Hi, it's Robin Van Auken here. It's episode 11, and I'm speaking with author Melody Johnson. Melody Johnson is a writer of gritty urban fantasy fiction. She's got a brand new book that is coming out. It's going to be the explosive conclusion to the Nightblood series. It's called Day Reaper. Um, I have been introduced to Melody because she is a student or was a student as of what 2011 you graduated from Lycoming College. Welcome, Melody. Thank you very much. Tell me a little bit about your experience as a published author. Um, I've been looking, basically stalking you all over the internet since I picked up your <laughs> book. I, I read your book, the first one in the series. Very interesting. This is The City Beneath, and it is a very dark, dark, but also romantic and a little bit lighthearted in places, fictional novel. Can you tell me a little bit about how you came to write this type of series? What you, um, what process you basically went through to create this concept? Sure. Um, I've always loved the um, darker vampire genre. Huge fan of uh, Laurel K. Hamilton and Chloe Neal and Anne Rice and, you know, from, from the classics to the more modern. And um, so when I decided to to embark on, on my version of the um, kind of like a vampire world, I, it was really important for me to be able to put my, my spin on it um, with, you know, staying within kind of like the, I don't say doing homage to my, to my favorites and to my, um, the stories that I grew up on. Did you write this book prior to selling it to a publisher? I did. Um, so I had written, um, this is actually the night, uh, the city beneath was my third full manuscript that I wrote, but it was my first book that I published. Um, I had written the whole book in, you know, the full manuscript um, and had it edited and then uh, began pitching it to, to agents and editors. 
Now, I also notice that you've been a member of the Romance Writers Association. Did you have these books under your belt before you joined RWA? Or was that something that helped you finish these books? Mm-hmm. Yeah, RWA is awesome. Um, I joined them shortly following graduating college. Um, and they were a part of my whole writing journey. Um, I had, when I, the first book I wrote, um, but has is not published, The Last First Kiss. Um, and throughout that process, after I had written that book, I had it edited, I really didn't know what to do with it. And uh, Romance Writers of America um, is a national organization, and it's also a part affiliated or a part of um, a local chapter as well. And so we have monthly meetings. We bring in other authors, uh, agents, sometimes publishers. We'll bring in uh, professionals in the field, like um, retired police officers, retired FBI agents, um, to be able to, you know, have, have craft workshops. Um, so all of that is really helps with the creative process. And then also uh, we have the opportunity of pitching to the agents and to the publishers. Um, a lot of the, when I lived in Pennsylvania, um, I would go to the uh, New Jersey meetings and the New Jersey uh, Romance Conference. Now that I'm here down in Georgia, I go to the one in Atlanta. And their conferences, they bring in the best of the best for agents and publishers. And that's where I got the opportunity at those conferences um, to be able to pitch my work. And so everything I learned in the, in the craft workshops to be able to improve my writing, improve um, the business side of it, how to pitch better, um, really helped me grow. So by the time that I got, I had written The City Beneath and I got in front of a, a publisher and I did my pitch, um, it turned out well. <laughs> Let's back up just a little bit. You knew that you wanted sure. to be a writer when you were a young person. You took creative mm-hmm. writing mm-hmm. in college. Tell me a little bit about your early experiences writing, uh, maybe even before you went to college. How did you know this was for you? When I was um, when I was in high school, I thought I was going to be a um, a professional flautist. I was going to play the flute professionally, um, and then I took a creative writing class in col- er, in uh, high school, and uh, wrote uh, a short story about uh, a dragon falling in love with a peasant and. Um, <laughs> so my first short story was, you know, paranormal romance, if you will. And, um, and I've always loved it. And so then, um, after a few creative writing classes in high school, um, I decided to go to Lycoming, major in creative writing and, um, kind of just started from there. So you were originally from the Pocono area. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. So you traveled about two hours? Yeah, yeah, it was about a two hour, uh, two hours away from home. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something that I, I see a lot of students doing at Like Coming because, you know, I'm a teacher there also, is many of our students are not from 
our local area. They're at least two to four hours away. It's this um, mentality that I want to be close to home, but not too close. I want to be close enough. I can go home for a long weekend, but mom and dad can't drop in on me unexpectedly. Exactly. That was the exact mentality of, of my thinking as well. <laughs> and you are, you are a musician. Do you still perform? I do not perform anymore. I still have my flute um, and I'll pick it up every once in a while. Um, but I did play all through, all through college um, in the band and the pet band. Um, I was in um, the woodwind quartet. So I, I, I absolutely loved it. And it, it took me all, you know, I, I mean, I played my flute from elementary school all through college and it was a wonderful experience. So you credited your work at Lycoming College with helping you um, persist with your manuscript. I, I was reading an article that had featured you in our Lycoming College um, magazine, and you said that mm -hmm. it was advice from your creative writing instructor that mm -hmm. had you sitting down every day putting pen to paper. Can you tell me a little bit about that advice and how it has stuck with you all these years? Mm -hmm, sure. Um in high school, I, I kind of like had this mentality that, oh, I, I, I more wrote short stories in high school. I tried, uh, tried and failed several times to write a full manuscript. And I would sit down and be inspired, have all these great ideas and write, you know, in one sitting, write, you know, 20 pages, 30 pages. And then, uh, you know, a few weeks would go by and I would kind of think about my book, not know, you know, where I wanted to go with it. Um, maybe sit down, you know, a month later, write another 20, 30 pages, get all these, you know, words down. And then maybe like another month later, get bored with that book and start a new book. So I would have, you know, maybe like 50 pages of like five different books all started, none of them finished. <laughs> kind of like, oh, I guess I'll just never finish a book. Um, but Dr. Hawks, um, my professor at Lycoming, really instilled um, the notion that writing isn't a sprint. You can't just sit down, write, you know, 30 pages in one day, you know, sprint to the finish line, and then, you know, try and do that every once in a while. You'll never actually finish a book. Um, you'll never actually get to the finish line. That writing is a long distance event. You have to take your time. You have to just do a little bit each day. And so, um, I I keep track of my my pages every day. At minimum, I have to write one page a day, even if it's just I'm in line at the grocery store and I'm at the checkout line. I haven't written anything all day, so I quick whip out my phone and I'll get a few words. I'll at least write a paragraph like on my phone, or I'm thinking about it, um, you know, during my lunch at work, and I'll quick write down, you know, maybe a paragraph. So this way, throughout the day. At minimum, I'll get one page. Now, I usually wake up early in the morning, get a page in. Um, but that's, you know, it, it's just really important to um, kind of like hold yourself, hold yourself to that standard. You know, at minimum, do something just a little bit every day. And the next thing you know, a year has gone by. You've got 365 pages and that's a book. I love that concept. I do. I love that concept. It is quite the work ethic. And, you know, quite possibly this is um, 
a, a spillover from your work as a musician, knowing that you had to get up every day and practice, practice with mm-hmm. your flute mm-hmm. through elementary school, middle school, high school, and college. You know, you had already developed that kind of ethic. And I noticed also that you've put a quote very similar to this on your Goodreads page, because I'm a Goodread um, author as well. And I, I see that you're talking about writer's block. You say mm-hmm. that you don't believe in writer's block. You say, I have good writing days and bad writing days, but there is never a day in which I sit down to write that I don't write something, anything. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. always about getting words on the page because a bad writing day can turn into a good day with one word. How old are you? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is just amazing to hear <laughs> this kind of, you know, wholehearted advice coming from such a young author. Thank you. Yeah, I'm 29. And um, I mean, I'm only as good as what I've been taught and what I've read. And um, Dr. Hawk, you know, really instilled the work ethic and um, the the foundation. And, um, and also another thing that he said that <laughs> that I have kind of thought about a lot, too, is the fact that you only are what you only write what you read like you only have kind of like the concept of eating like you only you know you have to fuel your body with good nutritious food because that's you know you are what you eat well you write what you read so you know you've got to read you know great great work you got to read in your genre you got to read things that make you excited so that you can write things that are exciting and um so the, you know, my favorite authors, my, my favorite teachers, they're all like the food of my writing. I noticed that you are doing a lot of reading and reviewing. Um, that was how I tripped over your Goodreads page. I noticed that on social media on a pretty consistent basis, you're posting um, books that you've read. And it looks like you're going through two or three books a week almost. <laughs> Yeah, I read a lot. I always, when I'm not jotting down something for my for my book, I'm usually whipping out my phone and reading some, you know, reading the the book I have going. Um, I'm definitely a voracious reader. I love I love reading, and whatever I'm reading usually sparks something in my writing. Now, what kind of books do you like to read for recreation? Um, almost always a romance. Um, if it's not a romance, something that has a, rom- uh, a strong romantic plot in it. Um, I am a huge fan of um, paranormal romance, lately historical romance, um, a, a good Scottish romance. Like, uh, I don't know if you are familiar with the Outlander series has gotten wildly popular again, oh. thanks oh, to yes, the I am. TV oh, show. Definitely. <laughs> It's actually my husband's favorite show. I mean, that Is has been it really? a, it's been a <laughs> tremendous crossover hit. You know, it, here's a book I read many years ago. And then when it came out as a TV show, he's going, oh, my God, you got to look at this. This is awesome. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, oh, my goodness. Who are you? But, you know, the way this um, has been turned into a, a, a TV show, the series, it, it just appeals to all people of all ages, you know. Mm-hmm. It's it no longer, I guess, underneath of the romance genre, because my husband takes ownership. That's why I'd say, you know, he does not read. He <laughs> I don't think he's ever read a romance novel, except maybe one of mine that he was proofreading. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's, um, I feel like a lot of romances, you know, just because it's a romance doesn't mean that's the only thing it has going on. 
Um, there's so much substance that um, I don't know if you, you know, there's the, um, along the same lines of Outlander, there's, you know, um, Karen Marie Monning's uh, Fever series, her Highlander series. Um, I had mentioned her before, the, um, the Anita Blake series by Laurel K. Hamilton. And there's just so much that, um, uh, so much substance within those books about romance, about people, and um, not only their relationship, you know, how, how two people that may be so far apart um, emotionally can, can, you know, be, be thrown into a circumstance that they have to, you know, either work together or, or, and, they, and they find one another, they, you know, meet in the middle. It's always the, um, what gets me excited about, about a book. Tell me a little bit about your book and the fact that it is in an urban setting. It is a fantasy. It's a little frightening and a little gritty, but you've also got these connections between your, you know, characters. You've, you've got your Dominic, you've got your Walker. Tell me a little bit about how you developed these kinds of characters and you still kept the book moving despite the fearful components of it. I mean, what I'm talking about before I, before I really get into this, what I want to point out to you is that when I was reading your book, I felt that you made your characters suffer, that you were following the Kurt Vonnegut rule of being a sadist. (laughs) No matter, he says, no matter how sweet and innocent your characters are, make awful things happen to them in order that the reader, you know, might see what they're made of. And when I was reading your books, and it turns out that, you know, every time you're turning around, oh my goodness, poor Cassidy is getting attacked and bitten or chewed and suffering. And, but, you know, she just like shakes it off, you know, and bounces right back, basically. So mm-hmm. how, how mm-hmm. did you, how did you settle upon that kind of story to tell and, and, and push the fear away when you're writing something about your beloved characters? Well, I think that's the that's the fun of it. it maybe that is a little bit of a, of a sadist, in it. <laughs> but but um, I think I mean you know when you make a diamond, you know it's it's something ugly that's put under pressure and and it you know turns into something beautiful and sparkling. Same thing you know with you know making um, a sword, you know the um, testing of steel by fire. Um, you only really find the the core of of a person when you know. I mean, yeah, someone can be wonderful and pretty and happy and good times. But what happens, you know, when when it is the worst of times? You have to step up and become the bigger person and find the the inner strength behind the um, the beauty. And I think um, that's my. Uh, so in my book, you've got you've got Dominic, who's the you know the vampire. You've got Walker, who's the nightblood, who's the human, and uh, and Walker is you know he he's masculine, he's beautiful, he he thinks he's got it all under control in the beginning because he he knows where he stands. He uh, in terms of being kind of like a almost like a vampire hunter, his vendetta against vampires, and his mind there this they're the ultimate evil and he's, you know, he's the ultimate good because he's human and he's against them. Um, then you've got Dominic who is sometimes beautiful um, when he's had, when he's had his breakfast, his morning <laughs> blood, 
Um, <laughs> but but his kind of his day form, his 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 true form is is more like a gargoyle, like a monster. Um, and as Cassidy goes on her journey um, and is tested by fire, um, she she comes to realize um, the man behind the mask, the man that she you know monsters. Um, uh, monsters come in many forms and there's good and bad in everyone and everything and every creature, whether it's the vampire or the human. And, um, and I think being going through the hardships that they go through and showing both the, you know, the good, bad and the ugly in every form, um, is the fun of it. Well, you've really done your work. I I've noticed that you as even as a student, you were doing some internships with a publishing company. You were a copy editor. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. experience and, and how that has helped you with your work in an urban fantasy fiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a wonderful experience um, with uh, Wahida Clark Presents Publishing. Um, it was the summer before my senior year. And um, in New Jersey, I travel. Well, it was a little bit of a commute, um, but I travel and um, was a copy editor for them, and it was it was a genre that um, that I they they do urban fiction, um, which isn't a genre I typically read, and so that was a little bit of a challenge for me um, in terms of finding a voice and finding helping the author. Um, come into their own because as an editor you don't want to inflict your own voice you don't want to and you know you want to help the author blossom and that wasn't a role I had ever had I was you know still in college I had never really um was an editor minus editing my own books and my own work uh, and some classmates obviously but but in terms of actually working with uh, it's a quote-unquote real authors and you know at a real publishing company um, it was it was a really great experience. Well, and Wahida Clark is actually a very interesting story to 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 actually see a young woman like yourself, a creative writing psychology major from a you know a little hometown in Pennsylvania, where, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then you're working all of a sudden with Wahida Clark. Tell me a little bit about how you felt. Was it? Was it pushing your comfort zone to work, and especially with authors in a genre that I, I understand is it's thug, urban thug? Yes. Tell me a little bit it about is. this yes. experience. I'm I'm just so curious about it, and and how you pushed yourself outside of your comfort zone and learned how you know completely new languages, probably. Basically, yes. I mean, it's a whole it's a culture that I that I wasn't previously in any way familiar with. And, um, and being, sometimes it's hard to even describe it because, um, because it's something, it's, it's a genre and it's a lifestyle that I had never been exposed to, that I wasn't familiar with in any way. And, um, but also at the same time, being with them, um, they, them as individuals, Wahida Clark herself and my my fellow coworkers were so welcoming, and it wasn't it wasn't about um, genre or the people that we were or our past, and that's kind of Wahida Clark's uh, vision. It's really not about your past. 
and past mistakes that you may have made in your life. It's about what you're doing now and how you're moving forward and rehabilitation and um, being a contributing member to society. The redemption story. Exactly. Yes. And um, and that and she brings that in in her fiction and also in in her workplace. And so and the thing that ties everyone together at her, you know, at her publishing house is the fact that no matter who you are, you're there to create um, to create fiction and to be successful. And um, and so that, you know, that was a great experience. Now, after that, you went to work for Internet Inspirations here in Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. again, with copy mm -hmm. editing and, and um, I understand, uh, relationships, client relationships. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. While you were in that position, did you um, tweak your technological expertise? I'm just wondering how that position may have been contributing to your ability to present your work as a writer and to market your work if you were able to gain even more experience with like social media, website design. What kind of skills did you bring away from that experience? Yeah, Internet Inspiration definitely um, helped the business side of my of my writing career. Um, I mean, I did do lots of writing, but the copywriting I did at Internet Inspirations was um, website copy. Um, a lot they ha a lot of their clients are um, in the medical field, so I did a lot of website copy on um, cosmetic procedures and um, dental procedures. So it was much more factual um, and much more within the guidelines of um, you know, SEO and keywords and um, presenting, you know, content on the internet in that way. Um, so the things that I took away were definitely more business side, and it was awesome. The um, social media, um, social media and also just marketing in general, um, which I, you know, as a creative writing and psychology major was not something that I had learned um, at school. So everything I learned from marketing was, you know, through actual experience in the workplace, and um, which was invaluable. And this is where I point out that you should have taken my classes at Lyco because I teach social <laughs> I media and web design. And, you know, one of the first things I made my students do is, hey, you're going to make a blog. Okay, now you're going to learn how to do this and that. And mm -hmm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. you wouldn't have, but, you know, it's still good that you had that experience with Internet Inspirations. And you're still working in the communications and marketing field, but I understand um, that you're doing it from a warmer location. Tell me a little bit about your move away from Pennsylvania and what that has meant for you as a writer and also in your career. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we, um, we, me and my husband, uh, Derek had decided to move down basically because of the weather. <laughs> we wanted to be somewhere that was warm and near the beach. Um, and we definitely found that we are loving our new home in, uh, St. Mary's, Georgia. And, um, I found also a new home in, um, at Southeast Georgia health system, um, uh, which is where now that I'm the digital media coordinator. And I do a lot of similar things, um, that I did at internet inspirations. Um, but now instead of being on the, um, agency side, 
I'm actually now the client. I'm my own client. Um, so I, you know, I do the, the fit, I manage our Facebook, I manage our website, um, all of the digital initiatives, the digital marketing, our um, provider blogs, our provider webinars, um, and I coordinate all of that. So um, all of it's it's kind of like the stepping stones, you know, going from my experience with internet inspirations, or my experience like homing prepared me for internet inspirations, which by leagues prepared me for um, Southeast Georgia Health System. Um, and all of my experience in the, I call it my, my day life, my night life. You know, during my day, I'm, you know, working and marketing. During my night, I'm writing. But the two of them, you know, without, I feel like if I were, if I would, would have stayed in the publishing business full time, I would have been so inundated with, you know, fiction and editing. It's so nice to do something different during the day. Um, and then coming home and bringing my experience with other people and my experiences in marketing and using that to help fuel a little bit of my book and vice versa. I was wondering about that. I was actually going to ask you, is there a, a way that you're balancing the fact that you're still working with marketing and writing basically with your career and how you're balancing that with your book? So that's a great answer. Thank you. Let me ask you, though. Um, <laughs> The fact that you are so busy every day, basically marketing this this huge institution, does that chip away at your enthusiasm to market your own work, though? I mean, I understand that, you know, it's mm -hmm. nice to have that balance where you could be creative because you're working basically in a factual nonfiction social marketing environment during the day and you can escape mm -hmm. into your mm -hmm. fantasy at night. But there's that flip side of being a writer. Who's marketing your books for you? And how do you keep that enthusiasm going? <laughs> mm -hmm. Exactly. And it is. It's a double-edged sword because there's some, you know, I have learned, I have learned so much in my experience at Southeast Georgia Health System, maintaining, you know, um, learning the CMS, the content management system for the website, learning, um, you know, the different platforms that we, you know, the different technologies that are constantly updating and keeping updated with all of those technologies and the platforms to maintain them. Um, and then I can bring all of that knowledge, you know, it's mine now, so that I can use it for, for my creativity and for myself. But sometimes, like you just said, the very last thing I want to do after spending, you know, eight hours at work maintaining the, my, my, um, my works website is to come home and maintain my own website. <laughs> um, but, you know, with the good and the bad and everything, you know, you have, you know, that's, that's life. So, um, you know, sometimes when I come home, you know, if I, if, you know, maybe I'll do something else. Maybe instead, you know, maybe I'll design, um, you know, put little finishing tweaks on my bookmark or work on a page or just relax and watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer with my <laughs> husband and get some, get some, get some R&R time in. Um, but, but, you know, you just, you just keep on chugging along and take, take the, Take, um, as long as you take more of the good than you do the bad and you learn from the bad instead, then, then you're, you're, go you're going good. Can you tell me a little bit about your publisher and working with this organization, how you fell in with them? 
Was it at the uh, New Jersey RWA conference? It was at one of the RWA conferences. Um, I met um, Essie Soga, who's my editor, and she's a senior editor at Kensington Publishing. Um, I met her at, I think it was my second RWA conference. It was in the Atlanta conference, the M&M, Moonlight and Magnolias uh, conference. And she was, take, she was taking pitches. And I had just finished, I just put my finishing touches on the city beneath. And um, they were having the pitch session. So at, at conferences, you, they'll have um, these pitch sessions. And you'll get, you can sign up for, you know, it's kind of like first come, first serve. You sign up for the agents and editors that you want to pitch to, and you get 10 minutes with them. Right. Um, so you get a 10, you get a 10 minute session and, you know, you, they have, they even have pitch workshops to help you develop your pitch. Cause you've only got, you know, you got your elevator pitch, you click, you click do that. And then you, you know, attempt to make it a conversation, you know, it's an interview. Um, but so I got, I got her, I landed her um, at the pitch session, uh, did my pitch. And uh, seemed to go pretty well. She asked, they will typically ask for either, you know, let's say they ask for the synopsis and five pages. You know, they're interested. They're, you know, they're, they're interested enough they want to read something. Um, sometimes they'll ask for the first 25 pages. And sometimes they'll ask, you know, for the full thing. They ask for the full, and it's like the home run. Right. Um, and so I think SV asked for like the first 25 pages. So I was like, oh, she kind of likes it. She kind of liked my idea. <laughs> um, so he sends it off. You know, I sent it off to her. And um, within a few weeks, she asked for the full. So. Well, that was pretty exciting, wasn't it? Tell me what happened after you sent off your entire manuscript and then heard back that they wanted to publish it. Well, I mean, it's the best news ever. <laughs> um, it's kind of like the you know, the dream that you work, it's, it's a little unreal because you spend so much time, or at least in my experience, you spend so much time querying different agents, querying different um, editors, going to conferences. And um, I mean, my skin was so toughened from rejections that when you get the, get the, the acceptance, you know, call, phone call, it's like, wow, this is, is this really happening? <laughs> And then, um, and then very quickly goes to the business side of it because then you get a contract. Um, and so I, um, I was an, an, am an unagented author. So okay. I was, I landed a publisher without an agent. And so, um, I had to kind of navigate the business side a little bit on my own. That was a, that was a little interesting. Did you have anybody that you could speak to? Did you take it maybe to an attorney to look at? Or were there any people that were in your local RWA chapter that you were able to discuss your contract with? I did. And that's actually the support system um, for anyone who is a writer and you're seriously thinking about um, taking it to the next level and having it published, having something you know, whether it's RWA or whether it's just a writing group. I mean, um, I, I had a couple contacts within my group under my belt that I could, um, I had a, um, a friend who knew of a, um, an agent that would take, that would review things on an hourly basis. So she might not take you, you know, to, to be your agent as a career author, but she would take you under as an hourly basis to review a contract or to do things like that. So I, um, I did have someone 
look over my contract and help me with the, the business side of it. Tell me a little bit about the two books, the two books that you you wrote early and did not publish. Are you considering putting these two books out in some other format, maybe with a different publisher or independently publishing them? I have gone back and forth. Um, my The one uh, is called The Ravioli Con. I almost will definitely not do anything with it. <laughs> I wrote it before... Um, before I knew some of the things that I know about the industry and about uh, myself as a writer, and I never even went back to edit it. So I've kind of just scrapped that one up to just experience. Um, but the, um, the first last kiss, um, I just want to say it backwards. The, the last, last first kiss. kiss. Yes. <laughs> yes. The last first kiss is, um, it was my first book. It's actually the book I wrote um, for my honors project at Lycoming. And since it's, it's the first book that I ever finished completion. And so it has a little, a little part of my heart in that one. And um, there's still things technically wrong with it. in in terms of um, like the romance genre, um, it's hard to market because of certain things that I didn't even know, you know, just writing, writing my first book. Um, but if, if, I've debated going back and maybe fixing some of those things. and uh, But at the same time, I'm a big proponent of uh, moving forward. I've got, you know, big ideas I've been thinking about for, you know, my next series. And, um, and I don't write the same, I don't write the same way anymore. Um, so, so we'll see. Maybe in the future, I'll return back to that one. That one's definitely a possibility, but, um, but I'm big on moving forward. So. That's an excellent point. Moving forward, you feel that you've evolved as a writer and you don't write the same way. I see that the Day Reaper, (laughs) which is the number four in your Nightblood series, is going to be the final in that series. Is that because Mm -hmm. as a writer, you've continued to evolve and now you're ready to work on a different type of series, a different type of story? Yes. Um, I, it's funny because, um, so there's different, there's different kinds of, of series. There's like series where each book, you know, completely ends at the end, but something ties them together. Like all of them are, you know, all the main characters are brothers. So they're all in the same family. They're all in the same town. Um, and my series is more of a serial, like kind of like Twilight or um, Outlander. And the fact that it's the same, the main characters are the same throughout and the story arc continues. Um, throughout the entire series and I didn't know this going in like five years ago but I very uh, by the time I got to my my last book I you know I was so ready for them to finally have their epic conclusion (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I I love that series it's the first I'm big on the things being my first Uh, it was the first series I ever that I ever completed, you know, the first um, uh, complete like story arc for a character over multiple novels, and um, and for my my next series, I think I'm going to do an actual series, not a serial. Um, I'm going to have, and one of the things is because I missed some of my favorite scenes to write are the first kiss, the first look. Um, you know, that building of tension and, you know, them resisting coming together. Um, 
And so I'm really excited to be able to write some of those scenes again. I understand completely. I mean, I your series, your serial series, Nightblood, this is a very fast story. I mean, basically, the second book is just, what, a week or two after the end of the first book? How long, mm-hmm. how long in, in your time period of your, your story from start to the conclusion, how long does that story go? Just a couple of months? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. I believe, don't quote me on the exact <laughs> amount, but I want to say, <laughs> I want to say it's about two months in okay. Cassidy's life. Alrighty. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a very interesting and exciting type of concept. Like you said, a serial Basically, this is one mm-hmm. massive mm-hmm. novel, and these are giant chapters within it. So what is next for you on the horizon? Are you going to stay with vampires and fantasy, or are you going to move into a slightly different type of genre? I'm going to stay with uh, paranormal, but I'm, I'm going to leave vampires behind for now. Um, I've got an idea with a um, almost like a Captain America, a um, government experimental... Um, team of like alpha agents um, that have shape-shifting abilities. Okay. Still going to stay with a publisher with your next series? Or are you thinking about launching your own imprint? Well, I don't think I'll launch my own imprint. Um, I know a lot of people have had uh, authors that have, you know, a great backlist, have some great success, uh, kind of like being a hybrid author. Um, I'm not sure that um, that's going to be my path. But I mean, we'll see. I have, um, I have a whole, I have so many opportunities um, in the future, and I'm really excited to see where it takes me, um, both with my new series um, and my writing in general. Is there anything you'd like to add? Anything that we may have touched upon but didn't expand? No, I don't think so. I, I mean, it's been uh, fabulous talking to you, and I appreciate the your time and the opportunity. Well, I really admire your work. I I read your book in one sitting, basically. It was riveting. <laughs> I couldn't put it down. I've been, like you said, you your writing is affected by what you're reading. So lately I've been mm-hmm. um, like a big fan of the Book of the Month Club. It's almost like this this retro feeling that I get when I order a book from Book of the Month Club. I did some research <laughs> on Book of the Month Club for an article I was writing um and I realized, oh, my goodness, this organization has been around forever. You know, look how many decades they've been putting out books. And um, I couldn't resist. I just went ahead and joined it. And um, now each month I get this really awesome thriller by new author. So I don't know. Maybe that's the maybe that's the area I'm going to start expanding. Because like you, as a writer, I've got lots of great ideas. But unlike you, I'm not sitting down every single day and writing just a little bit. I've been hiding behind that <laughs> illusion of the writer's block. So I really thank you for, for your enthusiasm and for your, you know, your wisdom, your wisdom. I'm going to do exactly as you suggest. Try to work one page a day. So thank you so much, Melody. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Oh, you're very welcome. It's been great talking to you too. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to let you go now. Goodbye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Melody Johnson and that it inspires you to become a more dedicated writer, to sit down each day for a few minutes or a few hours and put pen to paper, or write like most of us and use the computer keyboard. 
Also, consider Melody's advice and join a local group, whether it's a professional association in your genre or a local writing group. It's a great resource for learning new things and sharing what works. Also, larger associations can provide you with opportunities you wouldn't have, like pitching your book to an agent or a publisher. Visit Melody's website to learn more about this talented young woman and look for her books online at Amazon. You can find me online at robinvanauken.com. While you're on my site, download my novel, West Wind. It's free. And speaking of free, I've got half a dozen free resources for writers and other creatives, so sign up today. Check out the episode in the show notes at robinvanauken.com slash session 11. Thank you so much. And if you haven't done so, please hit that subscribe button on your device. Until next time. Goodbye.